regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. YouTube can be such an incredible way to build an audience and generate traffic to ultimately sell an online course. And I've always said, like, the reason is, is because the same type of person that's going to go to YouTube to find answers and solutions and outcomes in the form of video is a lot of times the same types of person that will be willing to invest in a video course and take something all the way to reach that desired outcome. I built my piano business, my online course business, teaching piano on the backbones of YouTube. That's one of the first things I did when I started back in 2013. And I haven't created that in a way that's that's been like this wild success. At this point, we're at 95,000 subscribers over 10 years. I haven't even gotten that 100K subscriber play button yet. And yet, that has been responsible for the majority of the $4 million plus in sales of the online piano course at this point. And so I still think today, 10 years later, YouTube is a great place to start. And a couple of years ago, I was talking to my friend David Walliman, who has guitar courses, and he was like, Jacques, have you heard of this three-bucket strategy from Tim Schmoyer and the guys and gals over at Video Creators? I was like, no, no idea what you're talking about. And his three-bucket strategy explained it to me, and I immediately wanted to learn more, and so I had some one-on-one consultations with the team there at Video Creators, and I even had one with Tim himself, who's the creator of that agency and that consultancy, and it's it's really incredible what's working on YouTube today. It's not the same things that were working even just a few years ago, and so we've definitely upped our YouTube game with thumbnails using this three-bucket strategy, which you'll learn more about in this episode. And I've also heard from several of you that listen to this podcast that you're a fan of Tim Schmoyer and video creators. And so I've been wanting to have Tim on, and that's exactly what you'll have in this episode. So uh, coming up shortly, you'll hear from Tim. Uh, We had a good almost hour-long conversation, and you'll hear a little bit of Tim's story. Not a lot, because I really wanted to get into the meat. And lately, what's been going on with him is he's actually sold his brand, Video Creators. You can go to videocreators.com. You can go to the Video Creators YouTube channel. They have a podcast. He sold that whole brand to a company called VidIQ, which is a tool that helps YouTubers or people on YouTube to uh, to grow more and get um, you know video ideas, title suggestions, thumbnail suggestions. It's a great, great tool uh, that I've used in the past for growth on YouTube. So VidIQ purchased video creators, and so he'll talk about that as well. But Tim has been around in this space for a very, very long time. He used to be a church pastor, and then he just started putting these random videos on YouTube, and uh, and he realized that people were looking for help with YouTube. So he's been doing the, the YouTube consulting, and he's got courses and memberships for over 10 years now, and he's a really big name in the space. In fact, if you go to Google and you type in YouTube consultant, other than the ads, 
Tim's brand, Video Creators, is going to show up uh, first. And so many of you have probably heard of them. And it was a fantastic conversation where we get into, you know, selling to vidIQ and what his role is now, but also very specific strategies for course creators on how to leverage YouTube to build that audience, but an audience that will eventually buy an online course from you. We talked specifically how to utilize YouTube shorts in an overall YouTube strategy. We talked about how to make a coaching program scalable and how to actually hire other coaches to come and work with, with your clients. Uh, and so a lot of great stuff here. Uh, before we jump into it, today's sponsor is Tella. Tella is a screen recording software uh, but it's on steroids. You know how when you when somebody sends you a screen record, uh, I'm not going to mention the, the go-to software for that, but it's pretty standard, right? You see their screen. A lot of times you'll see them in a little like bubble circle in the corner, and that's just what it looks like. And that's really effective. I love screen record software for recording course videos or just responding to somebody's email in a more personal way. But what Tella does is not only does it make it easy, but they have all these incredible templates to make it look so, so professional, which is even more important for course creators. So yes, you can use Tella to do the really casual screencast video, but you can absolutely use Tella to record actual course videos in a way that looks really professional and really, really polished. And so for my listeners, you can get 30% off for life of Tella, but they also have a really good uh, free plan too. So you can try it out for free. And then if you decide to go to their pro plan, you'll get 30% off for life by going to Tella, T-E-L-L-A dot TV slash OCG. So Tella.tv slash OCG. Just try it out. It's totally free to try it out. You'll see what I mean. As soon as you get started, you record your first video. You'll see how cool it is to not just have that standard template of like, here's my screen, here's me in the in the, in the the corner in a circle. Um, so many of you maybe have seen a video from me where I used Tella. It's awesome. I use it myself. Go check it out. Once again, tella.tv slash OCG. All right, so in this episode, we have this conversation with the one and only Tim Schmoyer. And I got to tell you, I don't know that a conversation like this has just gone by so quickly or I got to so few of my notes and that I mean that in a, a very good way. It was a it was a very fun conversation. I wish we would have had more time, uh, but it just went by by so, so fast for me. And, and so I just finished talking with him and now I'm recording this intro for you. So uh, without further ado, let me go ahead and play for you that full conversation between myself and Tim Schmoyer. Hey, Tim Schmoyer, good to see you again, but welcome to this platform. Welcome to the Online Course Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. Look, I'm like, I'm 99.9% .9 sure that your background is, is real. It looks it amazing. Is. What is the, the, like the setup? I mean, most people are going to listen audio, but the setup behind you with the table and the TV, that's more for like courses and presentations, and this is like your podcast recording spot or what? Yeah, I when I designed the studio, I I wanted it to be flexible to have multiple angles. I got like a whiteboard angle one direction. I've got this is like my primary setup you see behind me, but then I also have backlights and front lights for like my desk here in the corner for the window, you know. So I, I designed it to be multiple different angles and shots. So it looks like several different studios, but it's all just one room uh with just about 20 30 some light bulbs in the ceiling all pointing in different directions. And about uh, 14 different switches over there and, and that turn them all off and on for different setups. 
Did you did you like set up the lighting yourself? Because that's something I always struggled with. I could never get the lighting right. Yeah, uh, there's basically it's all three point lighting, uh, except for this one's maybe yes, it's still three, I suppose. Um, yeah, but it's more just too soft. Uh, there's not like any shadow on my face right now, obviously. So, uh, so what yeah, I heard was yes, everywhere. it's not that hard. Yeah, yeah, it's not that hard. It's just more about, uh, but I, but this is my first rodeo setting up like lighting and things. I used to have to set it up and tear it down in my basement when I first got started on YouTube all the time, you know, because we had kids and that was the only spot I had. So yeah, I got, I got used to setting it up, tear it down. I'm pretty good with tech in general, but I just couldn't figure out the lighting thing. And, and I'm pretty good at outsourcing as well, but it's hard to get somebody in the Philippines to help you set up your lighting in your office. So one of the few te- good to uh, me. times, what's that? You look good to me. Well, no, look, I, what, what I'm getting at is I had to hire a local videographer to come in and be like, look, I can't do this. Please set up my lights for me. So that's like the uh, one time where I had, I hired somebody locally to come help me because I didn't really have a choice. I did also learn that, uh, you get what you pay for when it comes to lights. And I thought light was light, didn't really matter. But turns out there's a significant difference in like $100 lights you can get on Amazon versus the ones I have up here in my ceiling, which are $3,000 lights. And the, the it was an incredibly different, noticeable difference to me in the video quality afterwards. So I'm not saying everyone needs to do that. It's a pretty, uh, it's not where I would start, especially, but, um, but sometimes, Different types of lights can make a big difference too. Well, guilty. I have the $100 Amazon lights, but the biggest yeah, thing that this guy did for me when he came that was like, like mind blown is he pointed the lights like kind of in the opposite direction of me. Now I've got this nice white room, but he's ah, bouncing yeah. the light off the wall and mm-hmm. then to me. And that was like the total mm-hmm. game changer. Yeah. So it's diffusing the light a little bit more. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. All right, so I didn't plan for this to be an hour-long uh, lighting episode, so let's keep moving <laughs> forward. Look, like, I like it, you've though. Done, you've done so much. You've been around online for a long time, Tim. Like, when, when somebody, when you go to an event, like, let's say you're doing something personal, you're out with your wife, and somebody's like, oh, hi, nice to meet you, Tim. Like, what do you do? Like, how are you responding to that these days? Uh... I don't know how to answer that very well. Well, how about I give it a crack here and you tell me how <laughs> if it makes sense and how well I did. So, uh, it's, I can, if, if we have five minutes, I can tell a whole story that makes it a little bit more obvious. But to just kind of like people, like, hey, what do you do for a living? I would just say I run a team. Uh, I'm growing a team of YouTube coaches that coach creators to grow their audiences on YouTube. And people are like, oh. And then they change the subject. <laughs> they don't really, or they're like, oh, I know a person who love my kids love you watching YouTube or, you know, it goes one of those directions. You're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's nice. Um, yeah. It's weird. It's weird. Outside. For the longest yeah. time I said I was a, an online piano teacher. Um, sometimes I would say like YouTuber, but like the reaction to online piano teachers, like, whoa. And like, that's really interesting. And my wife's like, you got to mm. stop saying that. You don't, you barely do that anymore. You haven't touched your piano in forever. You need to start saying that you're an online business coach. And so I tried it a couple of times and like, it's like what you said, like, they're like kind of change the subject. It's like, it's not as interesting for some reason. Yeah. They don't know what to do with that. Oh, business. Okay, cool. I don't know anything about business. I've been an employee my whole life or something, you know, it's like, yeah. So, but most, sometimes it gets good reaction. People are like YouTube. I didn't know you can make money on YouTube. You're like, let me tell you the ways you can make money on YouTube. Yeah. So, 
so yeah, but basically I, I grew a, a YouTube growth agency over the past 10 years and had a lot of success with it. Did YouTube strategy for Disney, for Warner Brothers, for eBay, for Budweiser, uh, distant contract work for YouTube themselves as well. And a whole bunch of other brands and creators, uh, 20 billion views, a hundred million subscribers for our, our, our clients all grown organically and sold it last year to vidIQ. And there, one of the things that we learned at my agency, video creators was how to do scalable coaching combined with um, online courses and how to and how to really make how well we serve our creators our customers better with our courses with coaching and uh, so I shared some of the details of that with with them I had a couple of companies actually reached out to acquire us but that one I was most interested about what they wanted to do with us and um, and so now I'm building a uh, a program that combines technology, AI, and online material with human coaches. And I think we're trying to take the best of both worlds of how do we take all the best stuff that that technology provides in terms of scalability for education, online education and coaching, and all the best things that humans provide in education and coaching, which is emotional support and customization and, you know, eye contact and things. And how do we take the best of both of those and build them to work together so that we can build human one-on-one coaching programs at scale? for creators. So it's a tough challenge. I don't know if it's ever been done before, but that's why I was interested in selling because I was getting a little bored and was uh, looking for a new mountain to climb. And this is certainly it. So I'm excited for the future of it. So scalable coaching, let's let's uh, dive into that a little bit because a lot of times when we think scalable, like that's where the course comes in. That's where the pre-recorded mm-hmm. content, that's really, really scalable, right? Mm-hmm. So what is the motivation behind wanting to get coaching so scalable? That's a really good question. I've never had to ask that way before. Um, the motivation for me has always been through video creators is, um, is how do I reach people and change their lives? And that's what I really loved about YouTube was, you know, I made for some context. I was a youth pastor for 12 years and it was fine. The thing I really liked about it was seeing the life change and the impact that was happening in students' lives and their families and things. And so I took a a youth group of about 15 and within five years was about 180 students coming on a, on a weekend. And I loved that. Um, but at the same time I was growing on YouTube and my wife and I are reaching about a million people a month on YouTube at that time. And I was, and this was back in like 2009, 10, 11, you know, back before that was like MySpace days, you know? And, uh, and I, and I was seeing more, I was hearing more stories of life change coming out of what we were doing on YouTube than I was, than I saw coming out of what I was doing for my full-time gig. And so I felt like if I really wanted to make an impact, then... I think YouTube was a better place to do that than the church, honestly, for me. You know, I'm not throwing shade at the church necessarily, just, I just like, oh, the, the results were undeniable. So, so it just started into YouTube and that was great. And then I was like, oh, I'm reaching my million people a month, but what if I could help other creators reach their million people a month? What would the ripple effect of that look like? Of people who have messages I don't have, uh, people who have stories I don't have to share that could impact the world. Uh, and so when video creators got to where it's, it's height and then we sold, I was thinking my motivation 
for making scalable coaching programs was like, how can I equip and train other people to do what we've done so that more people can be impacted by the message that messages that people have? And so it was really about what we call the the ripple effect of how do we create more ripples where we, we change the life of one person, but then that person grows and reaches a million people online and those million people's lives are now impacted. So, but so you can do that through content, but I found through working literally with over a thousand YouTube creators one-on-one is that people who buy an online course and sign up to go through it typically end up creating very little life change for others, even for themselves, compared to people who are going to go through an experience with a coach where there's built-in accountability and you're working with a person. Um, we ha- we made a decision to start moving away from uh, my agency to move away from just online courses because we said if our mission is to reach people and change lives, courses is not doing it to the effectiveness that coaching is. And so we decided to start mo- moving away from coaches just as a thing and combining that with coaching to make a scalable impact. So does that answer that question? And there, yeah, totally. I think, I mean, this is literally called the online course show, but I don't, I don't limit myself to courses. Certainly. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to help people, um, reach their desired outcomes. Right. And so my, my, my first business or my first successful business teaches piano. And so I think it, it depends on the niche, how much coaching coaching is necessary. And so when I teach a beginner how to be competent on the piano, it's a very linear step-by-step process that kind of everybody needs to go through it the same way. And so, yes, some additional coaching accountability would not be a bad thing, but it's not as necessary probably as something like YouTube or what I help people with their online course business. It just needs more like customization and personalization. And so I've, I've had just like simply courses on how to do courses before and they didn't do very well. And I think that's probably the main reason is, is because with this business, Unlike my piano, it's not as one size fits all. And it's probably the same for for YouTube. And there's just a lot of value from that personal touch. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. It is a different market uh, of creators we're going after who want the and will pay for the coaching. Typically, it's people who um, are a little bit more established, people who've had some success like you on their channel already, and they're just kind of a little stuck and not sure how to get to the next level. All they know is that what got them to the point they're at is not what's going to get them to the next the next point. And so that's typically where we came in. The ultra beginner, like zero subscribers, zero views type of creator could stand a lot to just go through an online course. But there's still other people who are like, I don't want to go through an online course. I'm busy. I have a business. I got a family or whatever. I just want someone to sit down and just tell me what to do next. <laughs> right? I don't have time to watch. Uh, I have a friend of mine right now is going through the same thing, actually. Uh, yeah, he's like, I don't have time. I don't have time. For course, so it's just a different audience of people that that you're going after. Um, but but to be clear, though, we did use course platforms and we did have online courses. We just combined it with coaching, and again, to take the best of both worlds. So we weren't repeating ourselves teaching something over and over again and no longer enjoying our jobs because we were just repeating ourselves when they we could have just sent them a video they could have watched it in double speed and it would have been a better presentation uh, that way as well so we did we did use both but um but did end up calling it ultimately coaching what have you figured out about the scalability piece specifically? Because about 18 months or so ago, I did launch a coaching program where, you know, I was the coach 
and we quickly got to about 50 people and um and it it was it's great and I, I just i created myself for myself a lot of work and so the past few months i started to bring in other co- coaches and and try to make it a little more scalable um but you you've been doing this a long time right what 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 have you figured out as far as making a coaching program more scalable yeah, that's exactly where I was too. Um, we had a, we had a course called Video Labs and people would sign up and they, every week they would watch a training video and then they would get some assignments that they would do. They do those assignments and then we would jump into a live Zoom call once a week to review their work, give them feedback as well as let them answer questions and sometimes add on a little supplemental training on top of it as well. And that worked great. But like you, we kind of bumped into a limit of how many people we could actually serve well at that. And then it, and it paid well, but it was still like, confines. It was like, how do I serve more people? We have a waiting list of people who want this. Like, how do I, uh, so we started hiring people and that removed, that alleviated some of the pressure in the pipe. But, uh, if the good marketing business, you know, like the pressure is just always there. And so it wasn't until we, I started thinking more intentionally about systems and, and, I was thinking like there's a lot of people like I'm following other people's systems right now and it's working fine and it's getting the results that we want. But I think I need to create a new system that hasn't yet been invented to get to where I really want to go. And so we started looking at any, when you're evaluating any good system or process, it's like, where are the bottlenecks here? What's, where do we spend the most amount of time for the least amount of reward? And very quickly, we found that that happened primarily in, in two different areas. Number one, there was a big bottleneck when it came to, um, how we communicate with our, uh, with our clients, the people going through this coaching program. Um, and, and, and so primarily we're using text-based services, you know, think anything from like online forums to Facebook groups to, um, any, anything where you're just like sitting down and typing it out. Right. And the problem with typing out, whether it be email or it be some of these text-based communities and things online is that when you do that, you are stripping out all of the human connection stuff and, a hundred percent. It is just the information. And furthermore, it is so void of anything emotional connectedness, if that's a thing that it's, it's all you see is like a profile icon and a name and a question and you just answer it. And that's, it's just strictly 100% information transfer. No one's actually super engaged with that. And so we saw over the course of an eight week coaching experience that, um, hundred percent of the people were there on day one, only about 30% of the people were, were still there on week eight. Uh, it was just this very consistent attrition, um, over time. Um, and, uh, and so we, one, wanted to solve the problem of how do we change that? So people communicate in a way where they still have emotional connection to each other. And then two, the second problem, uh, the, the biggest, the second biggest bottleneck, um, was, uh, one was how, how we communicate. And the other thing was aligning schedules and calendars and time zones for us to do these zoom call meetings. So we might sell it as this coaching course, coaching program, but, um, 
The meetings are at 2 p.m. every Tuesday. And if someone like was ready to buy and wanted to buy but couldn't make 2 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday for some reason, then we lost that sale. Right? And, and so we started offering, maybe like you're doing, additional coaches. One would do like 9 a.m. sessions. Another one would do like 5 p.m. sessions. And that worked a little bit better. But still, there's people who are like, I can't make any of those times work for me. And so we were like, how do we remove that that barrier of time zones and schedules and calendars and, and all that? And so the solution that we came up with that solved both of those things very well was to use something called asynchronous video chat. Asynchronous video chat is just a fancy word that means video messaging back and forth. Think of it like text messaging, but instead of sending a text message, to someone else, you're just sending a video message to someone else. So if you're familiar with like Marco Polo, that's probably one of the more popular examples of a video of asynchronous video chat. Um, and so what asynchronous video chat did is allow us to eliminate the, uh, the text-based communication. And now instead you would just send, we, we call, we called it having a coach in your pocket with your phone. You just take out your phone, hit record, share what you want to share. And, and people are seeing each other's faces. It's not just an icon and a name anymore. You're seeing emotions, you're seeing facial expressions, you're seeing environment. And they're just kind of like talking like it's a kind of like it's a voicemail message, right? And then you get to do the same back to them, which is, Hey, Sarah, thanks for sending that question. That's so good, man. Uh, I, you know, I totally understand how frustrating that is when that happens. And then, and while you're recording it, your kid walks behind you, maybe like banging a drum or something, right? Most people, if you're just typing, filter that out. It's just information. But when you're saying, Hey, I get it. I hear, I know how, how that, how challenging that is or how frustrating that is. And they're seeing your face when you say that. And then the kid comes behind you instead of like, and stop, re-record. We just show the kid like, yeah, this is Billy and he's, that's his favorite drum, you know, and then you just keep going. People love that stuff. Like that's the stuff that helps people connect emotionally with each other are those little interruptions. It's the, uh, you know, like, oop, there's something in my tooth right there. Oh, my teeth right there. You, you pick it out or whatever, you know, that's the stuff like you're doing right now that makes people smile, not just like, okay, I'm reading the information, right? And so what we found uh, and oh, then we also um, eliminated the Zoom call meetings because now what happened in the Zoom call is people felt like they had limited amount of time to be able to share because we have like an hour and a half to do this and no one wanted to be the person that took most of the time, right? Or they kept their questions. They might have had like a big question they really wanted to discuss, to discuss but they would have like artificially truncated that question just because they didn't feel like there was enough time to give it to just them. They wanted to share it with other people. And while we appreciate that, it really wasn't allowing us to serve each of those individual creators to the, the way we wanted to either. So if you feel like you can just ask your question, then there's no time restraint. Now we did ask people to keep it to like three minutes or less. We, we told them that remember the five B's of public speaking, which I'm breaking all of them right now, which is be brief, baby, be brief. Right. And so we would try to encourage that. And most people followed that, uh, but they would go over if they needed to, which was fine. And, uh, and so now the time zones and schedules and things didn't matter because we weren't doing zoom calls and the pressure to like fit your question into five minutes wasn't really there. And people would share like, Hey, here's what I'm working on. And other people then share all their video messages back to that person. And by the end of eight weeks, we, instead of going from 30%, we're only engaged 90%. We're still actively engaged at the end of, of, um, uh, eight weeks. And 
we found that one full-time coach on my team, instead of being able to support about 20 creators full-time in this process, could support 100 full-time in this process. You know, So we 5X our capacity with, and we needed that capacity because now we took the limits off of, of schedules and time zones and things. Uh, more people were able to buy and get into the program too. And, uh, so it served them better. They had more flexibility. Uh, they had more attention, uh, personalized attention and they connected better with everyone in the group. And we 5X our capacity all by switching, switching to asynchronous video chat. So I'll stop talking because I'm breaking my own five rules. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense? That's, what do you? Yeah, yeah. I, I do have one one key thing that I'd like to um, to rebut and see how, see if you've got a solution for it. But yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of where I am with the time zones. The solution that we have because we do we do a meeting pretty much every week, and and what we do is you know I'm in t- Central Time Zone, so every meeting ever is at two thirty p.m. Central, and the reason is we do have people all over the world. And for Australians, that's 5.30 a.m. in the morning. For Europeans, that's in the evening. For you know North America, that's sometime during the day. And it mostly works. Uh, it mostly works. You know, the Australians, I, they're, they're, the, they're the, the highest attendance rate for some reason. They get up early and they've got their coffee ready to go. Um, and, and as far as being real, that reminded me uh, a few months ago, I was on one of those live calls and my dog comes in and starts walking around the room and I've got this keyboard right here leaning against my wall, right? And she bumps into the keyboard and it falls over on top of her. Unfortunately, it's not a heavy keyboard. But I'm like, somebody was like asking the question, I'm like, guys, did you see what just happened? Like, I got to go check on my dog. <laughs> that's that's the thing people love. You're exactly right. Yeah, that's the keeping those moments in there, those human moments, we call it, of, of that allow us to connect with each other as opposed to it being just writing information and stripping everything else out. So I love, I love asynchronous communication. Uh, I do it quite a bit. I try to have as few meetings on my calendar as possible. I've gotten to a point the past few months where I'm only doing meetings one day a week. Uh, about a year ago, I got to two days a week. Now I'm down to one day a week and it's phenomenal. I love asynchronous communication. The problem that I've had with like the model you're talking about is the more community aspect and leveraging the conversations, right? So if the conversations are only happening one-on-one, then it feels like a piece is missing with getting others involved in those conversations. Yeah, so we used an app that doesn't exist anymore called Volley, and Volley was all about community asynchronous video chat. So think of it like Discord or think of... um, Slack maybe where you have a you're in one workspace and Slack we got a lot of different channels uh, or uh, yeah that you can jump into that's the way we had it set up so you go to like channel one for every, all the discussions around lesson one and then channel two for other ones about lesson two and then people would make a video uh, post and then there would be threaded conversations of people then replying to that video uh, in a threaded conversation. Um, so anyone could start a new conversation. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, their, their funding dried up and they're not around anymore, but they were the perfect solution for what we needed. In terms of solutions now, um, I haven't used it personally, but it looks very promising. It's called clarityflow.com. Uh, and they, their whole thing revolves around asynchronous video chat for course creators and educators. So it does, looks like it does what we were trying to do with Bali and, um, 
and they're doing that there. So again, not sponsored, haven't used them before. I have no, no connection to them whatsoever, but they look something similar. Um, but you could also just do groups in Marco Polo, for example. You can have uh, group conversations there. It's not threaded necessarily, but if the group is small enough, um, that should be okay to follow the conversations. Um, yeah, or some people are using Boxer for just audio synchronous, synchronous audio instead of uh, video. I like the video thing because you can see the the face and you can uh, get to know people a little bit better. But um, but there's plenty of solutions out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The last guy that was on the podcast, uh, he teaches uh, army soldiers to get promotions faster. And one thing that he offers in his offer stack with his course, uh, in fact, he's got a membership. One thing he offers is quote unquote unlimited coaching. And the way he executes on it is with uh, video ask. And there's a section in his membership where somebody can go in and they can use video ask to submit their question. And he, the way he was telling is like, he'll just be in the grocery store or whatever. And then he can reply right there on his phone with a, with a video message. So that's really cool. Great example of asynchronous communication, but I would, I would love to see a really dialed in solution. And I guess Volley was it, but it's not around anymore of, of, of how we can leverage that more for the community. So I think until I, you know, I'll check out clarity flow, but until we, um, figure out that piece, I'll stick with the, the meetings in conjunction with some of the, some of the asynchronous as well. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely recommend before you just jump wholeheartedly into this. Uh, I, I will say I have learned that async doesn't work for everyone. It's not a foolproof solution for every situation. Um, I think it worked especially well with our audience because our audience are all video creators. They're used to being on camera and they're used to talking to cameras and recording mess videos and sending them to people or posting them online. So I think we have probably the least amount of friction anyone could possibly have when trying to switch to asynchronous video chat. Um, and, but so what I would do is test it with a few clients or just one cohort or a few people in that cohort or something and, and, uh, go slow and uh, because it will require that you end up with different processes around how you coach these people and you'll it might change your schedule a little bit like do another grocery store is I did that type of thing as well as walking the dog or working out in the uh, in the garden or something and just hit record and kind of talk while I was doing my thing right and again it feels like it's unprofessional but people actually love it you know the, like I'm just hanging out with you and we're just talking type of vibe as opposed to like I'm the expert let me teach you something here type of vibe so uh, it has some benefits but it does have some drawbacks like you're on video and some people care what they look like on video and so you just can't just sit down in your jammy or you can. Um, and some people might love that, but some people will feel uncomfortable with that or might be inappropriate in certain contexts too. Um, so you can't just reply first thing we wake up in the morning. If that's would be inappropriate for your audience, you know, you know, so there's some things to consider. That's why I say maybe start try with it. That's what we did. We tried with a few one on one clients first, and then we expanded to our group coaching and then everything after that. So we're talking about scalability of a coaching program. And so thanks for the tip about asynchronous communication. But the other big part that you've mentioned is is literally having other people to do the coaching, hiring coaches. And I know for a lot of people that's that's really scary because you want to have the mm -hmm. right people. You're worried about, you know, your clients, your customers, your students wanting to learn from you maybe and not other people or being coached by you and not other people. How do you go about uh, hiring coaches? Yeah. Um, let me just first say that 
there's other solutions to this problem besides hiring, um, which would be raising prices, you know, or it could be like the goal might not for every business be how do I make as much money as possible? The goal might be how do I serve a few key people as good as I possibly can or something, right? Uh, and so you could raise prices, you could um, uh, increase scarcity, you could do a lot of different things. But if if you find that the solution is I need to hire more, I have had the best success hands down by hiring for my existing uh, community, my, my customers, people who have already um, like if you want a pre-qualification process, it's like who's already said, I love you and your brand and what you're doing so much that I am going to spend money to be in your program, Tim. And then they have already gotten like a lot of the training. They've paid to go through a lot of the training that they would otherwise need to go through because they and they can also empathize with my with my uh, customers and they know what it's like to publish a video and get crickets on it, you know. And so uh, I've hands down had the best success from hiring from our existing audience. And uh, if I was a little bit concerned that the fangirling thing might be an issue, but it, it hasn't. You hire someone who's mature, someone who's, um, well, it sounds like fangirls are immature, but you get what I mean. <laughs> you know, someone like, there might be a little bit of that in the beginning. Uh, we just hired 23 more coaches, full-time coaches last week. And, uh, and Slack, one of them's like, I can't believe I get to ask a question and Tim Schmoyer is the one giving me personal answers. You know, you're like, okay, that'll wear off. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> you work with me a little bit and you'll be like, oh, that's not as cool as I thought it was going to be. But, um, so there may be a little bit of that, but for the most part, it's been, it's been a phenomenal experience. Uh, people who love your mission are aligned with what you do already uh, are on board with it. And then hiring them is the onboarding process has been much smoother and quicker. Yeah. I've, I've hired people not in my audience and I've hired people that were in my audience or former clients. And so on. I can attest to the latter being the much, much better way to go in general, for sure. And I'm sure I'll mention this in the intro, but like I have, I've had personal consultations with video creators and I've had some with your team and I've, I've had one with you as well. And so it was really interesting to see, um, your, the, the business model. And I don't know if it's the same now that you've sold, but, uh, you know, I had a very good experience with your company, even though it wasn't you. So I've, I'm sure good. you're doing a really great job with hiring. That was the hard part. I think a lot, that's a, a lot of people have a hard time getting over that. It's like, well, I'm the face of the company. People are paying to work with me. And very early on, I, I worked with a business consultant who said, Tim, you need to be less Tim centered and more team centered. And I was like, Ooh, that preaches. I get that. That's good. <laughs> so we work really hard on making the company about us and we rather than me and Tim. And what ultimately at the end of the day, what our customers want is not to work with me. They ultimately just want results on their channel. And if someone else can get them the results just as well as I can, and maybe half the price, then we found that most people are totally fine with that. So yeah, but it, it but it does become a to a personal thing. Am I okay not being the center of all of this? And uh, I think everyone would say yes. But then from my experience for myself, when push comes to shove, you're, you're like, Oh, uh, like I left my company for, for six weeks, pretty spontaneously. And it was like, how's this going to work out? And I came back, everything was great. It took about 15 minutes for them to catch me up on what happened over the last uh, six weeks. And I had this moment like, I am not needed here. 
And on one hand, you're like, that's everyone's dream. But on the other hand, that's, that's when you get there and it's finally accomplished it, you, you got a lot of soul searching that comes up. I mean, um, unfortunately I was at a little, uh, less of a mature place than I am now and I unintentionally sabotaged things to break them. So I was needed again. So I've seen that in hindsight now, but didn't realize that was happening at the time. But yeah, that's a whole different topic. So about a year ago, you sold your baby to vidIQ. Um, were you seeking out being bought or was this just an opportunity that came to you? Yeah, there was a company that reached out in February last year, 2022, and, or January 2022, and said, hey, we've been watching you guys. We love what you do. We want to acquire you. The guy, CEO, co-founder of that company flies out here to my studio, puts some numbers on the whiteboard. And I was like, huh, I never thought about selling this thing, but okay. Asked my wife uh, to come out and we kind of went over the deal with her. And these are my words, not hers, but this is how it hit me was, Tim, is this going to take you away from our family more? Uh, and my wife and I, we have seven, we had seven kids in eight years. We homeschooled them all, you know, our families, we got a lot going on the family side of things. And and I was like, yeah, I think it might actually. And she's like, well, um, having more money doesn't change our life, but not having you around as much will. And it's like, ooh, shoot. Okay. So I told this guy, like, hold on, I just we got to put this on pause. Let me kind of think about this and get back to you. And so in the course of that, I reached out to a bunch of other people who are more familiar with mergers and acquisitions than I am, was, and um, make a long story short, people are like, Tim, we didn't know you're open to this conversation. And I was like, I didn't really know that either. <laughs> it's just kind of popped up. So within the course of a few months, I had offers from three companies. Um, I had interest from five companies and of the three, I took the one that was not only the strongest offer, but the one I was most interested in. And I think, what I didn't realize until I started going through this process was just how tired I was, um, how much I was just bored of like, we had already worked with mo many of the 50 fortune 50 companies, you know, and all, like a lot of the YouTube's top creators, as well as the budding and new creators who work with 635 clients per year. And I was like, what's, what's next for this? Just kind of like, a bigger team, more clients. I just kind of felt like more of the same. And um, so vidIQ gave me an offer that honored everything we had created and was going to scale it and make it even bigger and uh, scaling the 2 million weekly active users of their software, uh, a one-on-one -on -one scalable human coaching program. That felt like a new mountain to climb. So that's what I'm working on today. How long are you going to be involved? You know, a lot of times when you sell, you're the part of the deal is you stay on for a year or two years or something. Is is this something, this challenge you're gonna, you know, see through for a very long time, or do you have kind of a overall exit strategy from this? Uh, there is an overall exit strategy, but uh, I I like I'm really excited about what we're doing here. And I think it will allow us to go from impacting and changing the lives of potentially 635 people a year to millions, you know? And so I am 
I'm really excited about this. So I didn't negotiate as much on that front of, of how long I'm involved because I wanted to be involved and I am excited about this opportunity. So, um, I'm incentivized to stay for a few years. Um, but I don't have to. Someone gave me a better offer or something else more exciting came along. I could, I could jump, but, uh, but right now I don't want to. I like what I'm doing and I'm really excited about the future of what we're creating together. How's the transition from being the owner? of this thing to, I guess, working for somebody else now. Kind of. It's more like I'm an entrepreneur again, and but I get to use other people's resources <laughs> to build something from scratch. And uh, like I'm on the senior leadership team at VidIQ and I have um, a lot of autonomy to just like, Tim, we acquired you to and your team to like launch this for us. So do your thing, right? And that's, I like that. And what I also like is when I have my agency, <clears throat> like we had a team doing finance and HR and things, and I wasn't like directly involved in the day-to-day of all of that, but I at least had the, it, it took a place, a spot in my mental capacity. And um, and I had to give, I at least had to know what was going on. And now I don't need to. I just be like, I'm just staying in my lane. I do the thing I love and someone else, like I don't even have to think about the HR side of things. I don't have to think about the finance side of things. I don't even need to make those decisions anymore, right? So uh, it's 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 I'm enjoying just focusing on the things that I love doing and climbing the mountain um, and building that program from scratch. So I can't um, I can't not ask you about YouTube strategy, and, and I know it's changed yeah, a, a lot over the years. Obviously. Um, one of the biggest things I learned from you was the the idea of the bucket strategy because I, mm-hmm. I thought that I needed to have a call to action to something on my website, like every video. Um, is that is that strategy still what you recommend? And if you could maybe just spend some time on high-level YouTube strategy, like 2023, what's working? Yeah. I, in fact, I just shared this with a creator two weeks ago, got a little over 7 million subscribers and it's like changing fundamentally everything about growth on his channel. So this is true for big creators and small creators. Um, so the, the three bucket strategy very briefly <clears throat> is instead of having 15 different goals for every video you publish, you're going to have like a good marketer, one specific goal, one specific call to action, right? So instead of like, hey, I want every video to go big. I want it to get lots of views. I want to get lots of subscribers. I want to engage lots of comments. I want to be highly shareable. I want to rank number one. I want to go big on Reddit. I want it, you know, you're like, uh, whew, okay. And send people to my website and grow my email list and convert lots of sales. You just can't accomplish all of those goals with every video. So we break it down into three different goals and we say each of these goals slash buckets, every video you do should fall into one of these categories in one of these buckets. Um, and the first one would be discoverable, which is the goal of this video is to go out and get a brand new person who's never heard of you before and frankly doesn't even care about you yet. They're just clicking because that title and thumbnail created some intrigue. It sparked some curiosity and now they're watching the video and and then that video is crafted very intentionally to provide certain signals that make it easy for people to fall in love with the creator and the content and the brand and want to watch more, leading to more watch time. The only call to action of that video is to like click and watch more, right? Uh, on that end screen. 
The second bucket is the community bucket, and this is where you, the goal here is to grow the know, like, and trust factors with your existing audience. So the discoverable full videos brought them in, but now you're designing and crafting content that maybe a little less produced, uh, maybe isn't going to go big, and uh, but it'll pass through your subscribers' feed, and you'll engage those and those people, and then maybe a week or two from now, it's no longer getting any views, and that's fine. That's what that video is designed to do. And the only call to action there is to uh, engage in some way, like comment, uh, let me know what you think, but not just like comment below and let me know what you think. It's a, guys, this is what I'm trying to figure out right now. This is how I think I'm going to solve it. But I learn from you guys every single video, like every time we do one of these, I read these comments, I am blown away at how much you guys have to offer to this community too. So if you uh, have other ideas for how you would solve this problem, comment down there below. And if you're trying to solve this yourself right now, read what other people put down there. You're going to learn way more from them than you have from here, right? Like, a good pitch, not just like a comment, like comment, subscribe type thing. No one does that just because you say like, comment, subscribe. Uh, so get people, uh, I think the difference between a community and an audience is when the community is, uh, an audience is when you have everyone on a stage or, or in the, an audience and looking at the person on the stage. And when that person stops performing, the audience goes away. But a community is when that person on the stage can get the people in the audience to turn and look at each other instead of just at the stage and start getting more value from the people around them than what they got from the person who is facilit uh, facilitating on the stage. So that's what we're trying to do there, is turn an audience into a community. And then third bucket is the sales bucket. And this is whenever the call to action is to buy, download, sign up, register, whatever, like leave this video, go off platform, end your viewing session on YouTube and go to my website to take this desired action or to a brand's website if you're doing a brand deal or something like that. Um, and so that could be a, also a community video, but the, but the, but the entire piece of content is crafted to be a sales video that gets them to take that desired action at the end, uh, off, off platform action. And so if we basically look at, at it like an email marketing strategy, like a lot of people are familiar with, the discoverable videos are lead magnet. What gets them into our funnel in the first place? What gets them to be like, ooh, a lot of good value here, I'm getting in. And then the nurturing campaign of like five to whatever emails they get after they sign up, that's the community content. And then at the end of that nurturing campaign, it grows the need to then want to buy this product by email like five or six or something, and that's the sales bucket of content. So we're just taking a very similar approach and dumping it onto our our channel, so to speak. So yeah, it's been very successful. A lot of people just to have that focus and not try to end the viewing session for videos that were supposed to go big. And YouTube's like, uh, the viewer signal we're getting off of this video is that it ends the viewing session and we don't like that. So we're not going to push this video further. Uh, so we're making it easy as YouTube as possible for YouTube to push the discoverable videos to more people by extending the viewing session. But then once we have them in our ecosystem, then we send them off uh, rather than trying to make a sale in the first exposure to us anyway, which is usually ineffective. So yeah, it's three buckets out strategy. Love what you said about audience first community. That's amazing. I'd imagine the majority of the people listening to um, to this would be interested in utilizing YouTube as a tool to eventually sell more online courses. I'm sure not everybody starts a YouTube channel with that goal. Some people just want to grow and grow ad revenue, grow sponsorships, things like that. But this audience does want people to leave YouTube, go and buy their courses. Do you have any advice for that other than use this three bucket strategy? 
Yeah, to make it a little bit more specific, your discoverable videos are probably, uh, well, let me make poke at assumption I have here. First of all, most of these people listening, um, are there courses revolving around teaching a skill or expertise in some field or another? As opposed to like, um, I don't even know, <laughs> like how uh, is it all? Yeah, I guess if it's uh, courses would all be educational how to skills that that would there would there, there wouldn't be much outside of that then. Right. Yeah, it'd be I mean, the, the courses that I help people to create or grow revolve around getting some sort of desired outcome. Right. They're not purely educational courses like I'm going to teach you calculus. Right. It's it's hey, you want this desire in your life. I'm going to help you get there through a YouTube right. channel and then eventually hopefully you buy my online course on this topic. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. So in that regard, it would, it would be your YouTube channel and be about just, um, uh, I say give away your best content for free. Um, I know that's controversial to some people, but I would say like your goal in your discoverable content is to blow people away with how much value you have to provide. Um, the depth of your expertise on this matter and not just making about here's the information you need, but here's how you solve the problem. Kind of like you just mentioned. So, um, and then the community videos would be about stuff they wouldn't have even known to look for or search for, but this content that you as the expert know is something they need to know that they need. To, uh, let me give you some, make it more practical. Uh, so for me, a discoverable video would be like how to grow your channel with zero views and zero subscribers. Um, right. Like that would be something that you don't need to know who I am or care who I am for that to be like, Ooh, that's a challenge I'm having. How do I change that? And then at the end of that video, we're just trying to get you into another video and watch more. <clears throat> a community video for me would be something like, um, Hey, stop trying to be like television. If you want to grow on YouTube, um, most people don't really realize that there's that there's a big difference between what performs on television than what performs on YouTube. But most creators start by making content for YouTube that was more as more crafted for television, and then they wonder why it doesn't work. And that's because viewers come to YouTube with a very different expectation, and it's a very different viewing environment than television. And so you have to craft it specifically for for YouTube. And so I make a video that most people would never know to or otherwise search for or look for. Uh, but so it's a community video, but that's why the community is like really loves this. They're like, Oh wow. I didn't even know this was a thing. I never even thought about this before. Thank you so much for making this. Right. Um, and then, uh, and then a sale, and then a sales video uh, could be anything from like a, uh, like, um, how sub for sub can get your channel terminated, which is, you know, a lot of people like subscribe to me. I'll subscribe back to you. We'll both grow our following, which is a very pointless way to do it. In fact, YouTube's terms of service says that that's considered spam and is ground for termination, grounds for termination. So I'm like, if you want to grow your channel, don't do it like this for sub for sub. Instead, you need a strategy. What's a strategy? Well, I put together a guide for you. It's my six steps. You can download it right here. Six steps that you need to go, right? And now I'm pitching this free PDF. People can go to my website. And it's not like a quick like mention. It's a two-minute pitch for this thing. I Like this video is designed to show you that the way you're trying to grow your channel is not working and could actually get your channel terminated. Instead, grow it like this. Go to this PDF. I'll answer all the questions. Um, but it also could be like, hey, our next session of Video Labs is open. Click the link down below to register for it when it, you know, before it fills out, you know, something like that. So th those would be the examples. Maybe does that make more sense? 
Yeah, totally. Definitely. Look, quick sidebar. Or, or, do you have a hard stop at 45 or you got a few more minutes? I have a few more minutes. Yeah. I got a hard stop at the top of the hour. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, normally I schedule for an hour 15 um, with my link because I like to go for an hour and then we've got the, you know, pleasantries and whatnot. So look, mm-hmm. let's next talk uh, um, about shorts. How, how does YouTube shorts play into this strategy of, you know, for course creators, ultimately selling our own product? I would think of them primarily in your, in your discoverable bucket right now. These, uh, it's a, but the discovery mechanism is different than a YouTube video. In a YouTube video, people are browsing YouTube and they have to make a choice to click on that title or thumbnail to watch it. So in that regard, the title thumbnail is very, very important. But on a short, the discovery mechanism is just typically swiping up. Swiping to the next one. It's just a swipe. And so they're not making the choice to watch your content. So what happens instead is that the, is very, very important that those opening seconds, uh, capture not just anyone's attention. You need to have a really good idea of who your customer is, your avatar, the creator, the viewer that you're going after. What do they need to see, hear, understand within those first few seconds to be like, Oh my gosh, like I never like, Tim, I, I never heard of you before, but this is it's like really interesting. You know, uh, typically around something that's more emotional, like a story, not like three tips to grow your YouTube channel, though that could be fine maybe. But um, today it seems to be like this creator started with 2,000 and grew to 200,000 subscribers in only 10 months by doing these three things or this one thing or something, right? So your opening hook becomes more important in there. Um uh, for, for shorts. And then, yeah, it's mostly a discovery play of how do you get people to be introduced to you and your brand, uh, through that. So, so let me give you a quick case study. Uh, a former client of mine been on the podcast a couple of times, um, is really big on social media and he grew his brand on Instagram and TikTok and, and sells a course, uh, teaching, um, toddlers how to read. Uh, he, he does very, very well, moved over to YouTube. He started creating some long form content, but you know he's good at the short form. He had one video that now has over 140 million views, YouTube Shorts. And he only created his channel a few months ago, and now he's got over 500,000 subscribers, a lot of that because of this one viral video. But he, he told me, he's like, I can't do much with this. They're not, they're not buying. I, I'm worried that my subscribers are not the right subscribers, they're low-quality subscribers. You have any thoughts on that situation? Yeah, I've seen this happen many times. And typically what the reason is because, uh, and this isn't just due to shorts. This can happen with long form too, is kind of what you alluded to is that it wasn't, it's not the right audience. It was a good video, but from a business perspective, it's more important for us to be in front of 10 of the right people than a thousand of the wrong people, right? So views is not what we're going after here. Uh, if we're trying to grow a business, what we're trying to do is get in front of the right people. And it's easy to get distracted by views because those numbers are so prevalent uh, and so in front of our face all the time. And it's a social met- metric people use to determine the validity and credibility of things sometimes. But um, from a business perspective, we're like, who's the right person? And so it sounds to me without having seen this person's channel or, or having had a conversation that if I had had a, com- a conversation with this person, like, who are you trying to attract versus who did this video actually end up attracting? There's probably a discrepancy between those two things. And that is part of the, the problem. So it's a big, big temptation for people to go after views. But if you're business, you want to go after a person not after stats. So 
That's my off the cuff response. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's interesting to look at. I've built my piano business on the backbones of YouTube. That's one of the first things I did back in 2013, and uh, at this point, we've done over four million dollars of sales of a piano course on the backbones of what's now a 95,000 subscriber YouTube channel, which like isn't huge. Like I still don't have my 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 uh, play plaque. What do you what do you, you get something when you hit 100,000 subscribers? Button. Yeah, yeah. The play yeah. button. Yeah, I, I don't have it yet. I'm I'm 5,000 short Close. still, but it's still a very very healthy business. And I look yeah. at him, I'm like, "Man, you should be able to do something with this." No, not necessarily. I know a guy uh, who, let me say the opposite first. I know a, a good friend of mine, creator has a million and a half YouTube subscribers and makes about six to $800 a month from that, from that audience. I know another creator who has about 3000 subscribers and makes 2 million a year from that audience, right? So the subscriber size and the view counts is not what matters if your goal is to make money and not just feel popular. What really matters is the quality of your business model and how well you attract the right person who, uh, for that business model. So the, the, the business model trumps subscriber and growth channel size all day, every day. Let's, uh, let's spend the rest of our time together. Just, uh, if you could just kind of pitch in your stuff, like somebody hears this, they want to learn more. They want to, they want to get better at YouTube. Tell me what's going on with vidIQ. Should, should people go there? Should they go to video creators? Tell us where to go. <laughs> I don't know how to answer this anymore because it's all kind of in transition now. Uh, number one, I have nothing to sell you. I'm just here to help and provide what, what I what I can uh, to borrow that line from Alex Ramosi. But the, I guess if people really want help growing their channel, there's two places you could go. And I'm sorry, I'm going to break my own one CTA rule, but it, we're kind of like in transition between two different places. Um uh, the first would be if you just want to sit down, let's just do this. If you want to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a, a coach on our team, I think that's where you started, right? Is just, and our goal there is to bring you everything you need in that one hour to help you have a plan and a strategy for moving forward to reaching your goals with YouTube. It's not like a, a sales pitch. It's like we prepare, we look at your channel ahead of time. We write down tons of notes based on the goals you submit to us through the, through the form. And, uh, so you can do that at videocreators.com slash consulting. And that'd probably be the best way to start. Uh, if you are, if you're, um, especially if you have a business perspective on this, there's other stuff we do that teaches you how to grow your channel. But if you're, like I just said, you need to attract the right person, not just lots of random people. That would certainly be the best place to start. Yeah. And I'm sure you'd recommend people at least have a tool like, like vidIQ in their disposal if they're trying to grow on YouTube as well. Yeah. vidIQ. Thank you for that. Yeah. vidIQ is uh, a great tool for, uh, from a software perspective, if you need help generating ideas. Um, or you want to, you want help doing research on like, Hey, I've got all these videos I could make, but what's, what videos should I make that gives me the best bang for the buck for the most time and energy that I have right now to make one? Um, you want to research other ideas. You want to evaluate some of your existing content, maybe get some insights into why it's not performing as well as you hope it would or should be. Uh, you want to see what other people are creating in uh, that are similar to yours. Just mostly get inspiration and ideas that, uh, or, and there's even an AI coach there too. If you want to ask it questions about your channel and things, you can, you can do that. Um, and, uh, so yeah, vidIQ.com is the place to start for that. Yeah. 
I think having having some kind of tool like that is really important. I've, I've bounced back and forth between vidIQ, TubeBuddy. There's 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 multiple tools out there, but vidIQ I've used is very very good, and it's really mm-hmm. cool to see that they they bought your company. So congratulations once again on that, and uh, really appreciate all the all the insights and stories you you shared today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been good to be here, and hopefully it's helped people. Thanks, Tim. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you again to Tim for joining me and thank you out there for listening to yet another episode of the Online Course Show. This has been episode 210. So you can find the show notes and any links we discussed here today by going to oc.show slash 210. And look, we have a brand new website. You want to check it out, check out the new design, but a lot lot of the new features and a lot of the new ways we have to serve you. A lot of free ways. We have our paid coaching programs as well. Tim and I talked a lot about coaching programs here in this episode. For all that information, how we can help you here at the Online Course Guy and the Online Course Show, how we can help you on your journey, whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro here, we have ways we can help you. So go check out the new site. Let me know what you think. Browse around, and there's a lot, lot of things that can help you there. So once again, that's the onlinecourseguy.com. Until next time, whether it's a single piece of content or an entire course business, go create something that matters. See you next time. Take care. Thank you.